hear the word of the Lord from Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus uh, took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road when he saw him. He passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and asked, Take him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed him mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's get into the word. I'm glad to be here. It's been like a couple weeks since I preached, right? But hey, we got, we got other elders preaching up in here, so that's, that's a gift from the Lord. All right, we're going to dig into this text. I got a question for you. Have you ever met a know-it-all? Oh, somebody's like, mm-hmm. Is a know-it-all beside you? Don't answer. Just playing. Uh, <laughs> all right, so listen. A know-it-all kind of gets, gets annoying, right? You're like, that's cool, but we're not talking about that right now. Now, Here's another question. Have you ever met a Christian know-it-all? Don't, don't look nobody. Don't look at nobody now. Here's the interesting thing about a know-it-all, even a Christian know-it-all. The information might be correct, but if it is not accompanied by wisdom and most of all love, it's just white noise. Right? You can be an expert and the Bible expert in theology, you can tell all these awesome things about God, but if it's not accompanied with wisdom and love, the person will be like, can you please back up away from me? See, the fact of the matter is love is shown through active service to those around you, especially to those who are hard to love. I'm going to say it again. Love is shown not through how much you know. Love is shown through active service to those around you, especially those around you who are hard to love. Let's ask the Lord to, to help us understand this. Lord, would you please open up the scriptures that we might understand, but not only understand, but that the word would sink down deep in our hearts and we would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we have come here to listen, but not only to listen, would you enable us to obey what you have spoken in the scriptures? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, starting in verse 25, it says, Then an expert in the law, that's not talking about, it's ironic that Tom read that. It's not talking about the, the legal, it's not talking about like the legal law, it's talking about the law of scripture. An expert in the law stood up to test him. 
Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's the thing. Sometimes theology can be idolatry. Sometimes wanting to know a lot of stuff about God can be a means of escaping actually serving God. Look at what the man said. I love how it says he stood up to test him. You're not confused why he's doing it. He's just trying to start a little theological debate with Jesus Christ. That was a bad call, all right? I I realized when theology or knowledge about God could become idolatry. So I went to a Christian college and had a wonderful time there. But sometimes in the lunchroom, all right, you get these young dudes, they're all excited about learning what they learned in class, and we just be arguing. I know that verse means, no, the verse means that. No, it don't. You don't know. And we just argue and argue and argue. And what's interesting is that it actually didn't result in life, but rather pride and anger. See, see, knowledge about God actually has an intended result. It's not just that your mind gets bigger, but it's that your heart gets soft. Listen, you see this expert coming to pick a fight rather than being transformed by God's grace. See, the the truth is theology must lead to spiritual life. That's how you know it's true knowledge of God, that it leads to spiritual life. I once had a friend, and he, he really was seeking the Lord. He was trying really, really hard, but he was always discouraged. He always felt like he couldn't do enough. He always felt like, I I tried really hard, but I didn't try as hard as I should. And I remember one time some scripture was explained to him, Ephesians 3.19. It's this prayer for the saints. And in the prayer, Apostle Paul says, I pray that you would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And as someone explained that scripture to him, he realized that It wasn't raw effort that he needed, but he needed a continual deep revelation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you pay attention to the verse, it says, you know the love of Christ so that you may be filled with God. It doesn't say work really, really hard. It doesn't say grit your teeth. It says, if you know the love of Christ, that is how you're filled with the fullness of God. And I remember he had tears in his eyes, and he realized that his raw striving to do better was not the answer, but rather that he should focus on the love that Christ has for him and that that would cause growth. Beloved, that is the theology that leads to change. Not just that we had an interesting conversation, but that the truth of Scripture sinks down in the heart and produces change. But that's, that's not what this guy was looking for, was it? He wasn't looking for that. He actually answers the question right. See, the culmination of biblical instruction is actually love. In verse 26, Jesus said, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. Now, here's the interesting thing. Did he get the answer right? Yes, Jesus all the time said that is the most important thing. So he technically got the answer right. See, the the goal of Scripture is that you would love God 
and that you would love your neighbor. He even says it, and the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 5, it says, now the goal of our instruction, I love it, he's like, what are we trying to do? The goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, so for example, I, now if you know me, you know I like to read books, all right? You know I like theology, so I'm not telling you don't read theology, but I want you to connect it to your life. So you can take this, this theological concept, there's this doctrine in the scriptures called the doctrine of adoption. The fact that we've been adopted by God into his family. Now you don't only need to understand that, it actually should lead you to love God and neighbor. So, so what is this doctrine? It says those who are adopted into the family, so there's a lot, of, a lot of things, those who have been adopted into God's family enjoy the privileges and liberties of the children of God have put his name on them, receive the spirit of redemption, have access to the throne of grace, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are cared for, protected, provided for, and disciplined by the Father. Listen, the idea is that believers have shifted from being slaves who are heirless and fatherless to co-heirs with Christ, who are fathered by the creator God. That truth shouldn't just make you go, that was cool information. The fact of the matter is that the undeserved grace should make you want to love God. That when he says, hey, even though you have sinned against me, even though you you have made yourself my enemy, I not only want to bless you, I want to pull you so close that you would be part of my family. That information is not just information to go, hmm. That's information to produce love. And not only that, If we have gotten this undeserved grace from God, should it not want to make us bless those around us, listen, whether they deserve it or not? You have been given undeserved grace. How that theology actually works itself out is if God has been kind to me and showing me grace that I did not deserve, then I should be kind to others and showing people grace whether they deserve it or not. If God has been this kind to us without regard to our goodness, we should want to imitate him in showing extravagant kindness to those around us. Now listen, the expert answered it correctly, but he wasn't asking from the right posture of the heart. In verse 29, we get this, 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 this idea that knowledge of what we ought to do does not justify us. Look at verse 29, he says, But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who was my neighbor? He could have been like, oh, I got it right. Let's cool. No, he's like, let me tell you. I feel like he might have felt some sort of conviction when Jesus, because if you pay attention, Jesus said, you're right. And then he said, go do it. Right? He said, that's cool. Go do it. And he's like, oh, man, maybe I don't do that. You know, maybe let me, let me try to sneak my way out of this one. Maybe he felt some con- conviction. Maybe he wanted to deflect the conversation away from himself. I came to talk to you about theology, Jesus. You ain't got to be talking about my heart. He wanted to stay hypothetical. But listen, listen. We know that head knowledge is not enough. Knowledge about what you ought to do is not enough. And here's how I know. Generally, do people do what is wrong because they don't know what is right? 
okay, you said it, not me. You said no. <laughs> like, no, I, was, I didn't know what y'all was going to say. But generally, generally, when somebody does something wrong and you're like, yeah, why are you doing that? They're like, oh, I didn't know. Usually that's not the case. They're like, I knew. Why did you say something? Be quiet, you know, like, no, no. Knowledge of the truth is not enough because we all have knowledge of the truth, and that doesn't mean we obey it. Romans 2.15, it says, it says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them. So what we're getting at is, is, is Jesus saying to the expert, look, it's cool that you know what you ought to do, but just knowing what you ought to do isn't enough. There actually has to be a change in the heart and a change in action. And so Jesus starts to paint this picture through the story known as the story of the Good Samaritan. And what he's illustrating is this. True religion is shown by caring for those who are hurt. True religion is shown by caring for those who are hurting. Verse 30, Jesus took up the question. Remember the question was, who's my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, here's a question that we have to ask ourselves. If you were hearing this story, if, if, we don't have priests and Levites in our church. Think about elders and deacons or something. Leaders in the church, right? Leaders in the church see somebody who, who was beaten half dead in the light. Not today. You know, that, that's, that's, we have to ask the question, why did the priest and the Levite not stop? Do you think they know the verse about loving your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, they knew that. They knew that. You think they knew that God wanted them to help people? I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not very hard theological. That's just basic stuff. It's not because they didn't know. Let me tell you what was happening. They may have been afraid of something called ritual impurity. This is not a sermon about ritual impurity, but I'm just going to give you an example. The easiest way to explain ritual impurity is this, is that they thought that they wanted to keep themselves clean because of an upcoming meeting with someone important. You ever been going somewhere? You got an important meeting, you got your nice clothes on, and there's mud over there. You're like, oh, I better not step in that mud because I don't want to look busted when I come up to this person. Well, in their mind, they had a meeting with God. They had a meeting with God, and they see this man who's bloodied and beat up. He's like, I, I got to look good for God, though. I want to step over there. Maybe he was in a rush. I don't know. Regardless, they did not stop. But James, the brother of Jesus, tells us what true religion is. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. He says, your true religion is shown and how you treat others. In other words, belief in Jesus should produce walking in the way of Jesus. Jesus himself consistently drew near to messy situations. He drew near to, to people that people were like, hey man, like they would talk to his disciples. Yo, Jesus' disciples, do you know he'd be hanging out with sinners though? Do you know that? I'm sure like, yeah, we know. It's awkward. Jesus is consistently hanging out with the people he's not supposed to be and helping the people who nobody cares for. Jesus is setting this example that we should follow. He slowed down for the needy. There are so many times 
when Jesus is on his way to do something. And listen, if Jesus Christ is on his way to do something, you think it's important, right? He is on his way to do something. And somebody says, can you help me? And he always says, yes. He always slows down for the needy. Now, the story takes a little shift, and it points to the fact that sometimes mercy is shown from those we don't expect. Verse 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So in the, in the ears of the expert of the law, the Samaritan would have been his enemy or his other. Let's just keep it 100. There was some racism going on there, okay? And they're like, him? You going to correct me with that? I'm an expert. I know more than him. His theology is whack. He says the wrong stuff. I can say the right stuff, but you going to use him? Yes. What's interesting is, is because we are made in the image of God, get this, everyone can reflect the kindness of God at times. No one is outside the possibility of reflecting God's goodness, no matter how bad you think they may be or how other you think they may be. Every single person is made in the image of God, which means everybody at times reflects the goodness of God. And so we see this Samaritan, this other showing kindness and mercy to the one who was abandoned on the side of the road, left for dead. Now, before I get into what mercy is, I need to tell you what mercy is not, okay? Let me tell you what mercy is not. Mercy does not mean that you always agree with the person you're showing mercy to. A lot of times people say they want want Christians to love people, And what they mean is, I want you to unconditionally accept whatever I'm saying. That's what they're saying. How do I know that's not what he means? Because in John chapter 4, Jesus has this meeting with a Samaritan woman. And he shows this unconditional love. He's talking to her when nobody in the world would talk to her. But if, if you realize the subject matter, what he says is, hey, Samaritan woman, I love you. I'll give you eternal life. But I, 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 know, you, I know you with somebody that's not your husband. And everybody would go, Jesus, you don't love her. No. Jesus showed radical kindness to her and still remained true to his convictions. It is false to say that in order to love somebody, you have to agree with everything they believe. Listen, mercy does not mean compromise. How do I know this? When Jesus uh, saved that woman who was caught in adultery, if you remember that story, there's a woman who's caught adultery, and all the religious leaders, they got stones, and they want to stone her. And Jesus comes up and says, wait, hold up now. He who was out sin cast the first stone. And they all leave, right? And then she, he goes, where are your condemners? And she's like, they ain't here. He says, I don't condemn you. Do you know what he said next? Go and sin no more. <laughs> Again, I'm telling you because I want you to understand this. You are going, this is the reality. As you live the Christian life, people are going to come at you and say, you actually don't love because you don't agree or you won't compromise on your convictions. And you need to understand that is not biblically true. 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ showed radical kindness and never sinned in thought and deed. Do not be deceived to think that showing love is blind acceptance of all beliefs and behaviors. You can show love and disagree. Now listen, showing love and disagreeing doesn't mean like, I love you. No, no, active service. Active service to those who are different. Yet still holding to what is true. Now, if we look at the story, we, we need to understand something. This Samaritan's kindness was very costly. His kindness was very costly. It cost him three things. And y'all going to be excited. This, this is alliteration, y'all. It cost him three things. Trauma, time, treasure. Now, you read the story real quick. You're like, oh, he just helped the guy. Listen, listen. Think of what it would have been like to see someone who was beaten up and left for dead. That is not a tidy situation. This is not putting a Band-Aid on a fake boo-boo. That's, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this, is, this person is like bleeding everywhere. This is not something that, that he probably, in the story, the Samaritan years ago, he's like, man, there's one time I helped this guy, and I can't even get the picture out of my mind. The way he, I didn't even know if he was breathing. I saw the blood was everywhere. Listen, listen. When you enter into someone else's suffering and trauma, you will feel the effects of their suffering and trauma. Listen, if you're going to help people who are hurting, you are going to feel it. You're not even just going to feel it in the moment. You're going to feel it later. You you need to to have a wide open, like, what, what are you doing? Listen, listen. I, 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 I pastor in this community, and I see some trauma, okay? I've I seen some stuff. And y'all, sometimes I get home, and you can't just turn it off. You ain't just, we ain't just about to watch TV and act like nothing happened. I'm remembering the trauma and the suffering, and it affects my soul. But listen, be wide, get, your, get your eyes wide open and say, it is worth it. Even though this will be hard, even though it'll leave trauma and scars that are not just going to leave go away, it is worth it. It cost him trauma. It cost him time. It took some time to bandage up the man. He didn't just put one bandaid on him, did he? It took some time to bandage, bandage the man. It took some time to take him to the end. Are you willing to sacrifice that time? And it cost him some treasure. It cost him some money. We don't know how long he stayed at the end. He said, listen, whatever he owes, I got you. Now, I imagine he was there for a while. Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? Are we willing to show radical? Jesus is not calling you to answer questions on a test. Jesus is calling you to show radical mercy. That is costly. And he reaffirms in verse 36, love is demonstrated through sacrificial love of neighbor. I think I hit that point, but we're just going to read the scripture. Which of these three, this is Jesus asking the man, the expert, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I mean, the expert was like, well, you know, (laughs) the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him what? Go and do the same. Now, remember the first question. The first question that the expert asks is, what should I be doing to earn earn eternal life? And he thought, I got the answers. It's going to be straight. What demonstrates that my religion is real? What shows that I'm headed in the direction of eternal life? It is active love for God and others that is costly. 
So you today, you need to hear Jesus say, go and do likewise. Whatever knowledge you have received about me, whatever mercy that you have, have, have been given from me, you understand that it is costly by this story of the Good Samaritan. So you go and do likewise, knowing it'll be costly, knowing that there will be trauma, knowing that it'll cost you time, knowing that it'll cost you treasure. Nevertheless, go and do likewise. What I love about Jesus, Jesus doesn't ever ask us to do something that he himself has not done. He doesn't do that. Jesus himself demonstrated costly mercy. Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more have been reconciled will we be saved by his life? The, The idea is this. We ourselves were the man beat up in the story. Our sin had us in a mess. Our sin not, not only is selfishness, but it's saying, I want something else other than you, God. Our sin is an offense. Nevertheless, Christ drew near to the ones who were his enemies, the ones who were in pain in a situation that they could not get out of themselves, and he drew near, and beloved, it was costly. Listen, listen, the Son of God who dwelt in, in perfection, no pain, no frustration, took on flesh that he might live near sinners, like this expert who's constantly testing them. Not only did he live among sinners, but he died in our place. He sacrificed himself for us. And he rose from the dead. And y'all, this is crazy. You want to know what Jesus is doing right now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you. To this day, he has not started stopped serving you. Right now, present tense, Jesus Christ is serving you. Listen, I don't know what you can do in heaven. I'm sure there's a lot more fun stuff than praying for you. Here they go again. Father, help them. Now, I don't know what it is, but listen, to this day, And until the day that he comes back, he is spending his time in costly intercession for you. He does not tell you to do something that he himself does not do. Now, here's the question. The question is this. I just told you early in the sermon that just because you know you ought to do something doesn't mean you do it, right? We all agree. Okay. So what do we do? I just told you to go show radical kindness and mercy to your neighbor. And you're like, that sounds awesome. I don't know if I'm going to feel like doing that tomorrow. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so, so what do we do? What do we do? This is why we talk a lot in our church about spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines. It's not enough to hear what you ought to do. You have to join in the Lord's work in your heart by practicing biblical habits that change you. So it is true, you, just because I told you to go be nice to people, that don't mean so. But if you put into practice the things that the Scriptures tell you to do in your everyday life, it will form your heart. So can I make it plain? I'm going to make it plain. Listen, one of the things that you can do to prepare your heart to serve others is to slow down for God. You live in a fast-paced world where information is coming at you all the time. And maybe you could be like that priest or Levite and like, I know he over there, but I got to. 
you have to pace your heart to slow down. You have to slow down when you're reading or listening to the scriptures. The ultimate goal, listen, is not simply information, but transformation. So, so when you're reading scripture, slow down. Go through the passages of scripture and linger on verses or phrases that stick out. I'm going to make it even more plain. The other day, I was reading Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David prayed after he sinned with Bathsheba. So I, I just read through psalms throughout every day. So I'm just reading. I ain't even feeling extra no way. I'm just, this is what I do. I was reading the psalm, and a, ver- a phrase stuck out to me. He prayed, Lord, give me a willing spirit. Now, after I read that, that's, that's the verse, that, that's, that's the, the, the phrase that stuck out to me. So after I finished reading the psalm, I went back to it. Like, what, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in this verse? What are you, what are you saying? And the Lord, the Lord convicted me. The Lord's like, you do a lot of chores around the house, but you don't do it from a willing spirit. Your kids ask you to do a lot of stuff, and you do it, but you don't do it from a willing spirit. You do it because you have to. He said, I want you to have a willing spirit. So I began to pray, Lord, Lord, give me a willing spirit. That became my prayer for days. Lord, give me a willing spirit. Listen, if I would have just read through the psalm and went about my day and did not slow down, he would not have spoken to me through the text. But if you slow down, he will speak to you through the scriptures. So slow down. Don't rush. Slow down for prayer. Before you jump into prayer, before you rush away, wait on the Lord. Now, I'm, and I'm trying my best to make it plain. What do you, what, how do you wait on the Lord? What does that look like? Now, you know it's not just thinking of nothing, because can you think of nothing? Think of nothing right now. No, ah, you said it. Okay. So, no, you can't. Like, so, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means you can grab a short verse or a prayer and pray it slowly as you focus on the Lord. So what I do when I'm waiting on the Lord, I'll, I grab this from the Psalms. I'll say, bless your name, O Lord. Bless your name, O Lord. Either verbally or in my heart. I'm not trying to rush, Lord. Bless your name. You would be surprised if you would just slow down and grab hold of some truth and pray it back to the Lord, what the Lord will say in your heart. One of my favorite prayers is, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me because I need it. So before I start handing out my laundry list of questions I got, I said, Lord, have mercy on me. Just t- if you would take a minute, you just take a short prayer, and you would slowly say, Lord, I'm here. Lord, would you have mercy? That's what I'm saying. I want you to, when I say wait on the Lord, I want you to have some tools to do it. That's the point. So slow down in the scripture, slow down in prayer, and slow down in your life so that you can pay attention to others. A lot of times a phrase that I think about a lot is walk slow. Lord, help me to walk slow so that I can look around. Help me to walk slow so that when there is need, I don't just pass by it. Beloved, if you train yourself to slow down before the Lord, you will slow down in your life. And you will see things you hadn't seen before. Pay attention to your coworkers. Pay attention to those who pass by. And if you walk slow, you will be prompted to pray or to serve. So let's back up. How do I be a person 
that shows radical mercy, radical, costly kindness. I have to be a person that is before God consistently saying, God, work on my heart. God, speak to me in the scriptures. God, help me to walk slow so that when I'm looking around, I can see those in need. And Lord, give me a willing spirit that when I see those in need, I would run to them, even if it costs me trauma, time, and treasure. So let's, let's, let's seek the Lord so that we can be people of active service to the Lord and to others. Let's pray. Father, I bless you and I honor you. I thank you so much for your word. It is given. It is God-given. It is precious. Help us to, to revere and honor your word so that we would be transformed, so that we would obey. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, in this church, help us to be people that put in practices that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us to look like you, Lord Jesus, and empower us by the Spirit to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.